The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. More than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care. With guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Meryl Griff. Welcome to Caught Between Generations. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I, I know how busy and overwhelmed you are in your lives, and so thank you for doing that. So I have a question for you. Did you ever realize that loneliness can actually be a serious mental or physical health issue? That Loneliness can actually result in increased risk of heart disease, stroke, hypertension, and even dementia. I have lots of people as I travel around the country ask about dementia. You know, what can I do, you know, to, you know, not have dementia? Should I be doing crosswords or Sudoku or whatever I can do? But one of the things that does increase your risk happens to be loneliness. Loneliness can lead to sleeping problems and insomnia. And those sleeping problems and insomnia can also result in increased health problems. And it can increase depression and feelings of anxiety. So loneliness doesn't feel really good, but it's also a really serious issue. So today on Caught Between Generations, we're going to be discussing two ways to address loneliness. We're going to begin with Keo Stark discussing encounters with strangers that may actually transform you and may impact the other person who may impact the stranger in such a positive way. And then we'll be talking about forming and keeping deep connections throughout our changing lives with Shasta Nelson. Keo Stark is the author of the book, When Strangers Meet, How People You Don't Know Can Transform You. And you can actually watch Keo's TED Talk on TED.com. Keo, thank you so much for agreeing to be with us today and welcome to the show. So, Hello, I'm happy to be here. Great. So, Keo, let's, let's just start out with how do you define, you know, who is a stranger? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's something that most people don't really think about. They think, oh, you know, that's a stranger, and it turns out everybody has a very different definition of who they define as a stranger. For some people, it's someone they've never formally met. For some people, it's someone whose name they don't know. For some people, it's someone who they've never seen before or they've only seen once, Um you know, for some people, a stranger is somebody who doesn't share your context. So, you know, if it's somebody who you uh, run into at your church, they're not necessarily a stranger. But if you run into them 
in some other context that doesn't feel like it's a place where you know you belong, then they do feel like a stranger. Um, for some people, someone you can't understand or even who is a threat is the, the kind of definition of stranger. So it really varies. So the idea of talking to a stranger, and I mean, you talk about it as being a positive experience, I often gets outweighed by, by fear. I mean, I mean, we even teach our children about, you know, stranger danger. Um, so are you suggesting that we just become really open and we talk to everyone that we encounter, you know, regardless? If they're a stranger, we should talk to them. <laughs> well, not really. I mean, I think, um, and this is, you know, what I teach, I have a five-year-old and, you know, what I teach her by example more than anything else is that you have to learn to perceive people as individuals, to encounter people, not first and foremost as members of a category. So if you're walking around, instead of being, you know, man or woman or black or white or brown or short or tall or old or young, be individual. And start to see and feel and hear what you can know about them in those brief moments from your senses, not from your preconceived notions. And then from there, you can make good decisions about who to talk to, um, you know, by how they're looking at you, by their body language, and by any detail that you're able to make an interpretation from. So I wouldn't say everybody, but I would say um, it's worth you know, expanding your idea of who it's okay to say hello to and sort of casing out what the boundaries are for yourself. If you're an adult, I, you know, I don't, I don't tell teenagers to do this. And my five-year-old knows that she uh, is allowed to talk to anybody she wants to as long as she's with a grown-up and things like that. So what are, though, the, the benefits of talking to a stranger? Well, I think that there are benefits in a lot of different levels. Um, the most kind of heartfelt benefit is really, as you were saying, that it can be a counterweight to a kind of loneliness, whether you live in a city or in the suburbs. Um, these little connections with strangers that are momentary and temporary and not repeated actually have a lot of emotional weight. And we think normally of intimacy as something that we experience with our close friends and our families. But there is this other kind of intimacy that we have in these brief moments where we feel recognized and seen and heard um, and connected that I call fleeting intimacy. And those moments also count and they make us feel for a moment like we belong somewhere, like we are connected to the people around us. And that is really its own kind of antidote to loneliness. So... Do you see differences and, and how do these differences, you know, make a difference in speaking to strangers? So we're talking about um, the usual and customary is race, class, or gender. I, I would throw out there for discussion age um, because, for instance, we know and when we do intergenerational programs that often the research shows us that young children are often feel negative before they do the intergenerational program about older people um, and sometimes are uncomfortable around old people, especially if they're using a walker or a cane or something like that. So how do those issues such as, you know, race, class, or even gender make a difference? Sure. I, so that is the other kind of 
track of benefits to being more open to strangers and treating them as individuals, encountering them as individuals, is that you start to understand a little bit more about their experience. I don't mean that suddenly, you know, you have all this information and you can inhabit their mindset and, you know, have a sort of perfectly attuned empathy, but the more you take people as individuals, the more you can listen to them and they may tell you something about what it feels like to be them or how they organize their world. You're going to be less afraid of them. You're going to be making fewer assumptions if you come to those encounters openly with curiosity and without fear. Um, We all have preconceptions. We all have prejudices, no matter who we are and how open and tolerant and kind we think we are. And so one of the things that you can do when you're talking to a stranger who has some differences from you is hear those things and, you know, see what happens when you take that person as an individual and let all the categorical uh, associations go. How does that show you what you're thinking and change it? So... Can you think of an experience you've had where you approach someone somewhat hesitantly and you thought, ah, you know, should I, shouldn't I, this really, maybe this isn't going to go so well. Um, and then suddenly you're just really surprised by, you know, what you've learned from that person or what the experience did for you. Yeah. I mean, so you know, there are two pleasures in stranger interactions. One is getting it right and the other is getting it wrong in terms of who you think that person is going to be. Um, there's a real pleasure to, oh, I think I've got you clocked. And then the person turns out to be exactly who you hope they would be. Or somebody who you uh, start talking to and you think, oh, this is whatever kind of person I'm not interested in. And it turns out that they're really interesting. Um Recently, I was on a plane. Um, We took our daughter to the Orkney Islands in Scotland for vacation. And it's a lot of like old stones and archaeology. And um, so we had been to this little archaeology museum that was really great and interesting. And then we were on a small plane going back to uh, Edinburgh. And I was sitting next to this woman and she had a cane. Um, You know, she seemed very unsteady. And... I was really surprised at myself, but I made the assumption that she would be, you know, like a daft grandma to talk to. And I don't know where that came from, but I, I was almost avoiding talking to her. Um, and then somehow I did ask her a question. She turned out to be the founder of this little museum. Um, oh she was going all the way to Australia to see her children and grandchildren, um, you know, she was like talking to me all about her strategies for how she gets through these long trips, given that, you know, she has a cane and she's not super steady on her feet and like all the stuff she gets away with because she has a cane and she's old. And, you know, she was just a joy to talk to. And I got to hear all the background of this museum. And, and there it was, you know, I was thinking that, that because she was old and unsteady, that I didn't want to have anything to do with her. That's a great story. 
<laughs> That's a great story, Keo. That really is. So we only have a few minutes before the first break, but you have um, you have something in your book called um, Strangers Without Bodies. Um, so that's yeah. the issue of referring to uh, communicating with strangers through technology. So, I mean, wh- do you think these types of connections have the same impact on us as doing face-to-face encounters? I think they're very different. Um, You know, I have a lot of friends who are people that I got to know online in various contexts, some of whom I've met in person subsequently and some of whom I've never laid eyes on, but I know a lot about their lives. We're very open with each other, you know, whether it's in like a Google group or just somebody that I, who were friends with the same person on Twitter and we ended up getting in a conversation with each other. Um, And those things have their own pleasure and sense of connectedness and sense of kind of communion, you know, having a big group conversation. I do feel that embodied interactions where there, you know, two people's bodies are in the same place have a different capacity for this feeling of connectedness um, because we sync up our bodies and our voices in ways that we're not aware of that create a feeling of attunement, you know, over and above connection. So um, we pick up each other's cadences and language and accents and, you know, we do things like cross our leg at the same time and moderate um, our hand gestures. And, you know, when I'm talking to some of my friends, my hands are going wild as they are now while I'm talking on phone. And, you know, when there are people who keep their hands really still when they're talking, I tend not to do that as much. So I think of the many differences, one of them is this feeling of attunement. Okay, when we return, we'll be discussing being cosmopolitan with Keo. And for those of you who have been listening and you think, you know what, maybe this is something I really want to do, but uh, I'm not sure how to do it and I'm not sure I have the courage to actually start a conversation with a stranger. When we come back, Keo is going to give us some great tips on how to do that. So stay with us. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to drmerrill at caughtbetweengenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I am Dr. Merrill, and we've been here talking to Keo Stark, the author of When Strangers Meet, How People You Don't Know Can Transform You. And we've been talking about loneliness and, and what an epidemic it is in the United States and what an impact it has on physical and mental health and how talking to strangers can help you make small connections that can really be uh, meaningful to you. So, so, Keo, you use a term in your book. You talk about being cosmopolitan. What, what, does, what does that mean? Well, I'm sure for some people the first association is a drink in a martini glass, and those are delicious. <laughs> um, Actually, I was kind of looking for a milkshake and a cookie, but that's okay. <laughs> that sounds lovely as well. Um, it's snack time here. So... <laughs> Philosophically, cosmopolitanism is the idea that we identify as citizens of the world, as citizens of humanity, before we identify with any other nation or city or state or group of any kind. Um, This is a really old idea from the Greeks, and it gets revived uh, basically in the European Enlightenment when, you know, people were starting to think, really hard about in secular ways what what makes sense and what's rationality. Um, And it's something that now uh, people who are are interested in this kind of civic culture talk about a lot. So it's, again, this idea that we are, our primary allegiance is to each other, to humanity above all differences. It's a great concept. Thank you for for reminding us of that. So, Keo, I've decided this is a great idea. I'm really, I really want to do this. I'm going to try to talk to strangers. So, but I'm a little afraid. You know, you know, sometimes it can be a little scary. So, what are the ways I can, you know, you know, get my courage up and motivate myself to begin a conversation with a stranger? Yeah, you know, the first thing I always say to people who are a little anxious about it is go somewhere, you know, somewhere perfectly safe, but somewhere that you don't normally go that you're not likely to run into anyone you'll ever see again. So maybe a different neighborhood or something like that. Because then if you feel awkward or embarrassed, you're not feeling awkward or embarrassed with somebody you're going to then pass by a hundred times in the next two months of your life. So um, that kind of lowers the stakes. Beyond that, there are kind of tried and true um, strategies that people use to open up a connection, and those begin with something as simple as a smile or saying hello, which you can, if somebody's making eye contact with you, you know, you want to try to make eye contact with people if you're interested in saying hello to them, anybody who makes eye contact back with you and looks comfortable it's fine to say hello. And sometimes just even that little hello feels really wonderful. Um, If you're in a place where you're waiting with people, you're in an elevator, you're at the corner, um, whatever that case may be, you can uh, 
give them a compliment if it's genuine. You know, I, I say this all the time. I really like shoes, and um, so I always notice people's shoes. And it's a very neutral thing to tell someone you like their shoes. I tell women I like their shoes. I tell men I like their shoes. I tell kids I like their shoes. If somebody has great shoes on, they're going to be delighted and happy to tell you all about them. I get all kinds of stories just by noticing people's shoes. Um, Another thing you can do is triangulate. So if there's something that you and another person nearby you can both see, maybe it's like a street musician or there's a cute kid kind of doing something cute, you know, whatever the case may be, you can make contact via that third thing in the triangle and say like, you know, well, my granddaughter was that cute once or, you know, any, any little opening and either the person will take you up on it or they won't, but it's a kind of natural way. So are there times or are there situations in which you think you should not talk to strangers? Yeah, um, I think in general, if people are not making eye contact with you, that it's best not to say anything, um, you know, to leave them alone. Because I'm so experienced at this, I will sometimes, you know, like try pulling someone out of their interiority and say hello usually in my own neighborhood where it's like I'm saying hello to somebody who is in the neighborhood and it's residential. And so they have some reason to be there. And a lot of times people say hi, other times they ignore me. You know, I have to be willing to be ignored and not take it too personally. Um, Any place you feel in danger, you know, this is all very contextual. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say hello to everybody on a, you know, uh, not very populated street in the middle of the night in New York City. Um, On the other hand, the more people I say hello to, the more safe I might feel. So it's very contextual. So you have in, um, at the end of your book, um, some ways to kind of talk to strangers and meet strangers, which you refer to as expeditions, all right? So can you explain a little bit about what an expedition is? And um, the one that really um, got my, one of them that got my attention was the one called people watching. So can you explain that to us a little, describe it to us? Yeah, this was one of my favorite things about writing the book was that I got to write this whole final section that is, these expeditions for people to go on and explore what it's like to talk to strangers and to have a kind of set of instructions that makes it easier to try it out because you, you know, kind of what you're supposed to do. And the first one, which is people watching is to get you comfortable with this act of reading other people and, you know, helping you start to understand who you might say hello to, you know, what things about people mean or don't mean. So, What I tell people to do is, you know, pick a place that's generally a place of leisure, um, like a park or a museum, um, and go and sit and turn off all your devices or at least put them deep in your bags so you won't hear them and take a notebook if you want to and just sit and watch. Start to describe to yourself, what is this place? What is it for? What does it look like? How are people using it? Who's here? What do they look like? What are they wearing? You know, what, what things are people doing that feel like they're out of place here? Um, all the details you can notice because starting to learn to notice those things will give you more confidence about the, the opening up of talking to people. 
what are the, what's one of your favorite expeditions if if you were going to choose just one? Oh, that's a great question. No one's ever asked me that before. Um, <laughs> well, we have we have one called the question. Um, yeah. Go ahead. What is your What is your favorite one? It's let's get lost. I love these names. The question. <laughs> you don't belong here. They're great. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I the question one is really interesting, and it you'll see it in the book. Um, you know, it gives you the option of using some sort of contrivance like your like a camera um, to you ask someone a question and just let them know, like, you know, this is an experiment or I'm doing this thing that is in this book and I just want to, you know, can I ask you a question and record your answer? And you don't tell them in advance what the question is. The question that I really love is asking people what they're afraid of. And you'd be shocked. I mean, you ask a sort of disarming question and maybe 10% of the people are going to be like, what am I afraid of? Spiders or mice or something really inconsequential. A lot of people just sit right there and open up and say like, what am I afraid of? Loneliness, dying alone, failure, you know, losing my vision. I mean, like these really intimate things and people will just tell you if you ask because people don't actually get asked real questions very often. So people actually not knowing you will just actually disclose that type of personal information to you? Yeah. <laughs> and, and then how do you how do you respond to that? I mean, you know, it would it would be hard. I mean, do you just nod in agreement and say, yeah, that's tough? I mean, what do you do? You know, I you have to kind of go from your gut there. I mean, sometimes people say things that remind me of another person. And I, you know, I say like, yeah, you know, I, I worry about my mom feeling that way or God, you know, sometimes I worry about being a failure too. Sometimes if you can also be sort of playful and say like, well, what, what would it be to fail? You know, if they don't seem like they're really suddenly overcome with emotion, (laughs) Um, you know, you can get into more of a conversation. You can also just, thank them for sharing with you and say you appreciate it and move on. Cause you've told them that, you know, this is what the camera is for. It kind of gives you the opportunity to ask and also the opportunity to be finished. Well, Keo, I thank you for sharing with us such really great information today. This has been very, very interesting. Um, if people want more information, what do you suggest? What should they read? How would they get in touch with you? Sure. So the book is called When Strangers Meet, and you can get that uh, in bookstores, online, all the places that you buy books. And it's uh, the, there's an audio book, which is me reading it, uh, which was really fun. There's a Kindle and there's a hardback. Um, there's my TED Talk, which you can search for my name at uh, TED.com. And I have a website. It's keostark.com. So it's K-I-O-S as in Sam, T-A-R-K. And there's lots of uh, other information there about my other books. And I have a little newsletter where I send out uh, write-ups of interactions I've had with strangers. And you can sign up for that there as well. That's great. Thank you so much for being with us today. Once again, it's Keo Stark. And the name of the book we've been talking about today is When Strangers Meet, How People You Don't Know Can Transform You. Keo, thank you so much for joining us today on Caught Between Generations. Thank you. 
When we come back, uh, we'll be talking to Shasta Nelson uh, and her book, Friendtissimi, and How to Deepen Friendships for Lifelong Health and Happiness. It's been a very interesting book, especially in its age when I talk to a lot of people who are moving for a variety of um, circumstances and situations, and they have to start all over again. Sometimes they've had friends for 30, 40 years. Sometimes um, it's school school friends, but they have to start all over again. Um, And it's really difficult. So we're going to learn whether you're moving or whether you're staying, how to deepen those friendships. Um, So stay with us. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where's your dad? What's he doing? You'd know if he was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know he's enjoying a full day of cooking, computers, yoga, golfing, and he's home by dinner. You'd know Sarah Care LPN and RN Nursing Care is with him to ensure he gets the right medications at the right dosages. You'd know. How's your dad? He's just fine. At Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Call 330-451-6108 for one free day of care at Sarah Care. Do you understand what really needs to be done for your health? Or like many, are you mostly letting what you hear and see in today's media dictate your healthy lifestyle? It's time to get focused. There is a reason why cancer, heart disease, chronic fatigue, hypothyroidism, and other illnesses are running rampant in our world. Ganino Wellness Radio with Dr. John and Linda Ganino will show you that there are easy, preventative, everyday steps to get you back on track. Listen live every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to drmerrill at caughtbetweengenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations, and we're continuing to talk about loneliness and relationships and how loneliness can have such a negative impact uh, on our lives. And the relationships and connections we make can really impact our physical health and our mental health. So we're back with Shasta Nelson, um, who has appeared on the Today Show. She writes for the Huffington Post. She's spoken really throughout the country and has has been on a lot of shows. Um, We're very, very happy to have her with us today. So welcome to the show, Shasta. So thank you. I'm I'm going to ask you, because I didn't have time right before we started, and I don't want to pronounce the name of your book incorrectly. So pronounce it. So will you tell it to us? Yes, it's Friendtimacy, How to Deepen Friendships for Lifelong Health and Happiness. I discovered that when I use the word telling everybody they need more intimacy in their lives, their brains went immediately to sex. And so I had to coin a new word to remind us that we need (laughs) non-sexual intimacy. So it's friend-timacy. (laughs) 
Frentimacy. Okay, I got it. I knew how to pronounce the how to deepen friendships for lifelong health and happiness. I was okay with that part. It was the frenticity that that got to me. Okay, so I'm I'm really curious. Okay, is the book only for women? I mean, do you think men would benefit from from reading the book? Oh my goodness, yes. I think men are some of the loneliest people on the planet, and my I would have written a book just for men if publishers thought they would be motivated to go buy it, but I think the need is so, so dire. Yeah, actually, I would agree with you. I mean, now that I'm um, working with seniors, having worked with kids before, I mean, I find that very often the men who are caregivers for their wives um, are very, very lonely because they're used to women being, I call them, you know, we become their cruise directors. You know, mm-hmm. we tell them where they're going, when, you know, it's like, fr- it's like, oh, the weekend's coming up. You know, where are we going? What time do I need to be ready? And what do I have to wear? And we answer them, right? And then suddenly we're not available anymore, and they're just lost. They're, I see that all the time. They're just very, very lonely. So, yes, did, well, we've, we've allowed in our culture for women to experience intimacy outside of their marriage, but for men, really the only place that we've said is culturally acceptable for them to experience intimacy is in romance. And so they, I think that's one of the reasons why men tend to remarry faster after death and dying is because that's really one of the only relationships we've told them it's okay to go deep and be vulnerable, which is so unfortunate. So yeah, when they're in a situation where they have, are losing or have lost that person who they've, has been their safety net, um, yeah, they're very vulnerable. So let me go back to something, actually, because you've used the term intimacy a few times. So let's define it, because I think there's a lot of confusion about the use of that word. Yes, I agree. Um, I use the word, when I use the word friendtimacy, so we're talking about platonic intimacy, it's uh, by definition a relationship between any two people that feels safe, satisfying, and where both people feel So we feel known to that person. So that would be true of a romantic relationship, too. Obviously, how we're vulnerable with them would look different. But um, any relationship where we are in repetition with somebody, like consistency is what creates the safety. Um, Any relationship that's satisfying, so it should be a rewarding. It should have more positive than negative. And any relationship that we are feeling comfortable revealing more and more of ourselves and creating more vulnerability is what helps us feel seen. So those are the three things we use to measure whether we have intimacy with somebody. So you actually have uh, a metaphor in your book that you refer to. You talk about how exercise is a good metaphor for developing uh, relationships. Can can you explain that? Because actually, when I think of exercise, I'm like, ah, oh, exercise. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, definitely. I think it's such a great metaphor because when we go to exercise, we expect to sweat. We expect it to, you know, for us to be out of breath. We would like be disappointed if we weren't a little sore or like felt like we were making progress over the long term. And yet when it comes to relationships, I watch over and over as, um, as people kind of like, show, I call relationships the spiritual gyms or our personal growth gyms where we grow our soul. 
and I watch people step into relationship and as soon as they're, quote, breathing heavy or it gets awkward or they start to, quote, sweat <laughs> metaphorically, they're like out of there and they're, they're just like, oh, I don't do drama and they just jump out of any relationship once it like starts feeling a little like exertion is necessary. And I remind us all the time that physical health, it's by exerting that we end up creating that health. And it's the same thing for intimacy. We can't get to intimacy just like having fun and laughing all the time. There is, a, there is an element of getting close to each other, which means getting, you know, stepping on each other's toes and disappointing each other and having unmet expectations and learning how to process that and share our feelings. And so just like our muscles at the gym where we have to kind of like work them harder so that they are trained and healthy and toned, I believe completely that our friendships and our relationships are the place where we practice forgiveness, where we practice compassion, where we practice stating our needs, creating boundaries. And so those are our gyms. That's where those are the people that we practice becoming our best self with. Do you see a difference in this in in between differences in generations? So, for instance, in my generation, you know, um, it was kind of the, you know, you didn't, I can hear my grandmother saying, you don't hang out, you know, your dirty laundry, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, Meaning that you may talk about something that's an intimate issue, you know, um, maybe to a family member, but maybe not. And you certainly wouldn't do it to your friends as opposed to the millennials, which I think are much freer and much more, or they appear to me to be much more open um, and are willing to be much more sharing. I mean, do you see these differences in these generations? Yes, I do. I do see I do see the difference in how we live these three requirements of healthy friendships out, positivity, consistency, and vulnerability. And to your point, I do think as a culture, we have a lot more permission and modeling of authenticity and we value um, being ourselves, which means we show up who we are and show that, show that uh, all the different sides of us. Um, so I do think we are more practiced at it now, like, go, like going back to the gym metaphor. I think our culture and collectively we've been going to the gym and, and, and building those muscles better. I, don't, I wouldn't say that any generation needs it any less. It might just be that um, it might be that each generation has different things they need to work on, you know, and, and pay more close attention to. Some of the older generations, it may be vulnerability. It might not be, but it might be where that is the one that needs to be practiced. Whereas with uh, perhaps in a culture that we have now, it's consistency. It's being there for the long term. It's building history. It's actually staying in it um, when it gets tough or when we move and, like, figuring out new ways of kind of building, putting the hours in, logging the time, so to speak, that maybe comes easier with other generations. So the, the first element you had was positivity. Do you want to say anything more about that? or? Yes, I would love you know. to. So I, so I have <laughs> a triangle that um, intimacy is at the very top of the triangle, and at the bottom of the triangle is the foundation of all healthy relationships and its positivity. And research is showing us that our relationships need to have a five to one ratio of positivity to negativity. And I love that because it goes to, and especially as a caretaker, it's not all fun. It's not all enjoyable. You know, there is a lot of not fun when it comes to relationships. And I love that we acknowledge that and say there's a lot in our relationships that we can't, we can't make them perfect. And what we can always do is figure out how to add more positivity. And so when we see that ratio dropping 
below five to one, we see a lot of relationships go into a danger zone and, um, and not, not recover unless they're really intentional about it. And so some examples of positivity, even if we're sick, even if we're in tough situations, even if we're in crisis, we can still practice some of these, which include gratitude, saying thank you, appreciation, affirmation, pointing out what we love about the other person, um, anything that helps us smile together. Anytime we're taking photos is an act of positivity. We are wanting to remember this. We are laughing. We're creating a memory. Um, anytime we can watch something, even they show, even if we go to like a comedy show or watch something funny and are laughing together, it helps create that bond. So anything that helps kind of create the positive feelings in us that feel satisfying and rewarding. You know, you can think of love languages or also like acts of service is an act of positivity. So anytime we're bringing joy to somebody else, it's an act of positivity. Yeah, I think something that happens sometimes in relationships is sometimes we get, I see people get so focused on what's happening to them and they're seeing themselves as the victim um, Mm -hmm. that they forget about being positive to the other person Mm -hmm. and the consequences of doing that. What was your second element after positivity? So after positivity is the foundation on the base of the triangle and then the two arms going up the triangle, the left side is consistency, which is like our repetition, putting our time together, our regularity. And the right arm of the triangle is vulnerability, which is where we're sharing and revealing part of ourselves. And I teach that we start at the bottom of the triangle with all relationships and we should be moving up both sides of the triangle incrementally. So therefore our vulnerability should be increasing as our consistency is increasing and we don't want one to go way above and faster than the other. And so we want to incrementally build a safe consistency, creates safety. And over time we start knowing how we can predict each other. We start feeling more supported. We feel safe. We know that person is there for us. And as that consistency, the left arm increases, so should the vulnerability and our willingness to be more available and be more seen and be more known as the right side goes up. And I would guess, you know, I would, most of us will only have a few people reach the very top of the triangle, which is the highest level of commitment and consistency and the highest level of vulnerability. Most of our relationships will probably be in the middle of that triangle. You know, on a scale of one to 10, most of them will probably be fours and fives and sixes. And that's okay. They all serve great, um, great value in our lives in different ways. The important thing is, is to have healthy expectations of relationships along the way. We don't want to have expectations of a, you know, of a relationship that's a five as having expectations of a 10 and be disappointed by people not acting like tens or something. And so the important thing is just acknowledging what's been developed and having healthy expectations around it and making sure we do develop a few of them to the greatest level of intimacy we can. Okay, we're talking to Shasta Nelson, who is the author of Frentissimi, How to Deepen Friendships for Lifelong Health and Happiness. When we come back, uh, Shasta had a great uh, format in her book, which I thought uh, was outstanding, where she describes challenges to relationship, and then she provides some answers to these obstacles. So I chose three of them when we come back I want to talk about, because they're um, three that I see frequently um, as a therapist, going to talk about responsibility bias and scorekeeping. I see a lot of scorekeeping Um, and giving in terms of whose focus is it really? Is it yours or theirs? So stay with us. We'll be right back. Your 
life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. At SarahCare, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, welcome back. I'm Shasta Nelson, who is the author of Frentissimi, and I'm just sitting here laughing at myself because at the beginning of this uh, part of the show with Shasta, I asked her to pronounce this for me. I want to tell you, I've read this book from cover to cover. It's a great book, and only at this very moment did I see that under the title, there actually is a transliteration that tells me how to pronounce this. So <laughs> what, can I, what can I say? It's hiding so, in there. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just have to laugh at yourself. You know, it's like, oh, what an idiot I am. Uh, what can no, I say? No, no, no. You'd be surprised. It's a really hard word for people to pronounce. It was a, it was, it was a trick doing a coined word, but I found that anytime I use the word intimacy, it was the wrong audience coming. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So before the break, um, Shasta, um, I said that in reading the book, I found that you have a section that talks about um, some challenges and then you provide some answers and solutions to these obstacles. And as I said, I, I picked out three that as a therapist, I hear very frequently. So I'd like you to kind of um, describe them um, so that people understand what they are and then talk about your um, suggested solutions to the problems. So the first one is what you call the responsibility bias. Yeah, so this actually speaks to the fact that if we were to pull you and, and a friend together and ask which of you gives more in the relationship, how much of the relationship do you give, in theory, if you say 60%, then somebody, the other person should say 40%. But we find that that's not the case, that most of us, in both, both people in the relationship think they're overgiving more than the other person. And so it shows us that our responsibility bias is that we are biased toward keeping track of what we are responsible for. And so we tend to remember all the things we've done and not notice all the things that somebody else has done. I, I see that all the time, especially <laughs> in caregiving. Um, yeah. When you have siblings, adult children, 
Um, oh, and oh. and they're either sharing responsibility or one person has the primary responsibility. Um, it it just gets into huge fights um, about yeah who who is who is doing what and who's doing more. So Shasta, what what's the solution to this? I mean, how do you address this problem? Well, I think all three of these have similar solutions to them. Um, Maybe it helps to go through the three issues that we can see ourselves in and then kind of talk collectively about how we can best um, move those into more healthy places. Would that fit? Okay, sure. I can do that. So my second one was scorekeeping. And how is that different than the responsibility bias? It's similar. I think it speaks more to the fact that not only do we um, get confused about what percentages we're in charge of and being responsible for, but scorekeeping becomes very problematic because we actually, I I see this all the time. It actually makes me laugh where somebody will say, I, I gave her business. I helped, I asked her to help do graphic design and I was helping give her business. And so they think they did the favor, whereas the graphic designer feels like because they gave her a really discounted rate and then worked extra hard and did more, more takes on it, that they're the ones who did the favor. And so it's ironic that we can both walk away feeling like we did the favor for the other person, you know? And so I think that can happen an awful lot where, um, you know, for example, I have girls night and the girls all come over here every, every Tuesday night and I'm the one who cooks the soup. And so it could appear, I could have a pity party for myself that I'm the one that does all the cooking. And yet they're the ones who do all the driving. I never have to like leave my house. Like they're the ones searching for parking and making the commute in the rain and stuff. So who's to say who gave the bigger gift there? And so I think one of the problems with scorekeeping is that we aren't even, I don't think we're even very good (laughs) at actually knowing how, how to give points to each other. And it does tie in with the responsibility bias, thinking that we um, we're thinking that we give more. And I have to be really honest. I speak all around the country. And I, when I ask an audience, how many of you are the givers in your relationships? I mean, it's just astronomical. I barely see a hand not go up. So we live in a culture where most of us are exhausted by giving. We think we're overgiving. And, um, and so, of course, when you hear somebody say you need to give more to your friends, like everything in you just wants to like throw up because you're so tired <laughs> and you want somebody to give to you. So I think that I think this really does, when we talk about the solutions, they're very similar to um, really making sure we're receiving more and stuff, for sure. So, so let's talk about that's the bring us to the last point, which is giving, which is, and, and it's whose focus is it, it when you're giving? Is it yours or is it theirs? Exactly. So when that's one of the other things that happens a lot, my husband and I, I have to laugh because for several years, I would throw the par- birthday party for him that I actually wanted him to throw for me, right? So I would supro- I would do a surprise <laughs> party for him, whereas uh, he just wanted a weekend sense. getaway, and he, would, and he would plan the weekend getaway for me for my birthday, and I wanted the surprise party, and so I think we have to, like... Stop and say, am I giving the way this person wants to be given to, or am I just running around exhausting myself, doing things unnecessarily that that person might appreciate, but it won't really be what they actually want. So sometimes we are not giving in the right area, and we're focusing more on what it feels like to be us as opposed to what it feels like to be them. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, sometimes I see a sibling walk into a house um, and say, well, I guess you want me to take over for a day. And sometimes the other person does. But sometimes what they really want is for that sibling to walk in and say, you know, you are doing a fabulous job. You know, mom looks mm. great. She's doing so well. Mm, and, wow, you know, and you're yeah. just doing a fabulous job. And that's really all they want. 
You know, so you're right. Absolutely. So that's a great example. And that that circles back to like the love languages. Some of us have affirmation as a love language and we want affirmation more than we want. uh, Somebody else might have acts of service as their love language or quality time. The other one is gift giving and the other one is physical touch. And so it's really important for us to, it's easy for us to keep track of, I'm the one who always does X. I'm always affirming her. I'm always encouraging her. I'm always cheering her. I'm the better giver. And the other person is like, I'm always doing things for her. I'm always taking care of things. She doesn't even know how much I do for her. And we're both paying attention to the thing we want and not giving thoughtfully in the way they want. Yeah, actually, I once heard someone say something recently. It really, it really took me back. I had a laugh. They're like, you know, I just wanna, I just wanna be a princess. You know, I just wanna be a princess for a day. That's what I want. So I'm like, <laughs> because once again, the feeling is, I'm doing everything for everyone. You know, I just want one lousy day where people do something for me. So Shasta, we've yep. talked about all of this. What are the possible solutions? Yeah, there's, uh, I, I list five different ones in my book, and we probably won't get to all of those, but one of the uh, umbrellas of them is I love Robert Putnam and his book, Bowling Alone. He's a sociologist, and he has a phrase that's called generalized reciprocity, and that's when we offer something to another without expecting anything in return from that person, confident instead that someone else will return the favor down the road. And he talks about how as a culture, um, we've created such a distrustful society that often when we feel like we're um, depleted and become distrusting, it becomes we're much more, we we tend toward scorekeeping, we tend toward hoarding, we tend toward uh, feeling our reserves being really low. And so I think there, I think I would always start with one of the most important things we can do is um, recognize our own needs because I know when my reserves are low, I am much more prone to scorekeeping or, or you know, responsibility bias. And so I think the number one thing, especially as caretakers, and they probably get so sick of hearing this, but it's really, really important that we, we A, figure out what our needs are and actually admit them and actually help take care of them, and B, which is kind of different but the same, and that is, We need to practice receiving. It's not so much that we need to stop giving or pull back on the giving if we're out of balance. It might be that we need to practice receiving more, which might mean asking for what we need and articulating, um, kind of taking care of ourselves. And so those are really, really big ones. I always start with that because I think so often our tendency is to blame somebody else and to think we need to stop giving. And I really think that if we don't want a culture that doesn't give what we need, are people who know how to receive. Um, you know, so many, some of us are used to being the hero and we complain about being the one who are givers, but when anyone asks us what we need, we like act like the martyr and say we're fine and we don't let people help us. And so it's our fault sometimes that we aren't practicing receiving that would actually put that those relationships back into balance. I don't know. Do you see that a lot in your practice? Yeah, I, and, and sometimes in assertiveness training, I'll say to people, and I have to do this quick, you just need to say thank you. So when someone says, what a beautiful dress, yeah. you don't need to say, oh, it's actually very old and I only bought it on <laughs> discount. And we, I, you know, it's really a goodwill dress and blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, thank you. Shot You've been a great guest. We are out of time. I can't believe it. You've been fabulous. So tell us more about talk about this. Thank you. Tell us how to get your book. Is there a website? What do you want us to do to get in touch with you? 
Yes, so Frentimacy is my book on how to deepen relationships in our life. That's on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and other bookstores. And then my first book is Friendships Don't Just Happen, and that's about how to make new friends. And I will say on my website, if you go to ShastaNelson.com, um, or Frentimacy.com, I think they'll both get you there. I have a quiz that people can take that will quiz them on the three requirements of healthy relationships, positivity, consistency, and vulnerability, and it will give you a score because I can pretty much guarantee everybody that any relationship that's not feeling good in your life, it's because at least one of those three areas is missing from that relationship. And so that will help people get on, um, kind of start having an awareness around which area to start building on and focusing on, if that's helpful to anybody. That's very, very helpful. Shasta Nelson, thank you so much for being with us today. You've been fabulous. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is Dr. Merle. We only have a few seconds. I just want to remind you, as always, just do one thing for yourself. You may just want to talk to a stranger and make a connection, or you may want to revisit your relationships and see if you're really giving what the other person really needs. Um, But just do one thing for yourself. Remember to watch us on Facebook Live. You can always email me at drmerle at caughtbetweengenerations.com. And as always, take really good care of yourself. You're very, very important important to a lot of people. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week.